I'm still stuck on that line we were singing. I need your love like I need water. I need your love like I need breath inside of my lungs. I just want to jump in with a prayer this morning. Jesus, we need you. We need you. We need you. And we have you. We need a Savior. We can't live this life on our own and our own strength. You've made us needy on purpose. I need you this morning, Lord. If anything worthwhile is going to happen, we just, we need you. We bless you, Lord. I just ask that uh, you'd speak to us this morning. In your name, Jesus. Amen. I'm excited this morning to talk about the blessedness of surrender to Jesus. And what I'd like to do today is make a case for placing your entire life in the hands of Jesus. Because he's trustworthy. Because that's the wisest thing that we can do. And I love that old Will Reagan song called Nothing I Hold On To. He sings, I lean not on my own understanding. My life is in the hands of the maker of heaven. I give it all to you, God, trusting that you'll make something beautiful out of me. There's another song he wrote recently that's been in my soul. It says, you bought my soul, Lord, with blood and water. Now I am yours, God. Now I am yours. So here's what's on my heart this morning to share. Jesus wants to make something beautiful out of you. Jesus wants to make something beautiful out of you. Whoever you are, wherever you sit today, wherever you've come from, whatever swirling in your life, Jesus wants to make something beautiful out of you today. And even more significant, Jesus wants to give you himself. I think that sometimes I, and maybe sometimes we, as followers of Jesus, are, are tempted to try to leverage Jesus and his teachings in order to have a, a successful life that we can manage and control on our own. But I think that the invitation that comes from Jesus to us is that he desires to leverage everything in your life to give you himself. I want to say this morning that before you were born, you were a dream in your father's heart. Before you were born, you were a dream in your father's heart. And he is the only one who knows the real you. He's the only one with the power and with the wisdom to unravel the devastating impact of sin upon your life. Without Jesus, you will never be you. I want to start by reading a story this morning. It's one of my favorite stories in the New Testament. 
It's the story of a man named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is a helpful example of surrender for me. Can we go to the next slide? I'm having a hard time here. Oh, there we go. So Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus, Jesus was going to pass by. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and he called him by name. Can we hear Jesus this morning calling us by name? Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Next slide, please. I've only got three slides, so it won't be a problem. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. Jesus, he has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. And Jesus responds, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Jesus, would you help us to have hearts like Zacchaeus this morning? This story has always moved me. Zacchaeus was not a respectable man in his day. But Jesus saw in Zacchaeus something that he could work with. You see, Zacchaeus had a heart that was repentant. He had a heart that had been humbled. Zacchaeus declares to Jesus, I will give half my wealth to the poor. Lord, and if I have cheated anyone, I'll pay back four times. Here is a man who is saying, Jesus, I'll do whatever you ask. All I know is that I need to learn from you. All I know is that I must have you. Thank you, Anna. And Jesus declares over Zacchaeus, salvation has come to your home today. Zacchaeus, I am here for people like you. People who recognize that they do not have it all together people who are ready to let me help them. In Brendan Manning's word, people, people whose cheese has lost their cracker. Anybody else's cheese lost their cracker? I, I, heard, I was telling that with, to someone one day, and he said, my cheese can't even find my cracker. <laughs> Doesn't even know where to start looking. This is what I think Jesus is talking about in Matthew 5, 3, where he says, Blessed 
are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. My kingdom is for these sorts of people, for people who are aware of their need for me. In Matthew 9, Jesus says this, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Mike Art unpacked this scripture here for me this weekend, Isaiah 57, 15. For thus says the high, oh, you guys have got to catch this. So he begins by describing where he sits and what he's like, okay? For thus says the high and holy one who lives forever, whose name is holy. I dwell on a high in a holy place. And also, with the contrite and lowly in spirit, in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Who is this God who in the same one verse, he can say, there is no one like me, I am higher than anyone. No one can ever contest me or challenge me. And you know who I am irresistibly attracted to? It's the people that have need. It's the people that are aware of need. Psalm 51, David, after his most embarrassing failure, says, God, a contrite heart you will not despise. Isaiah 42 says, a wounded reed he will not break. James 4 says that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so here's the good news. If there's a resident Pharisee existing inside of you, like there is in me at times, this is true of everyone. Amen? This is the truth about all of us. God created us needy for him. To be proud is to ignore a supremely important truth about yourself. And that is that you have been created by God for dependence upon him. I believe that God is so irresistibly attracted to humility, to awareness of need, to a spirit of repentance. I was talking to Keith Wheeler about surrender, and he said, you know, Jonathan, in the world, when you surrender, you lose. But in God's kingdom, when you surrender, you win. I want to talk today about how surrender has become a profoundly joyful word for me. It's become an invitation to rest and to peace. You know, I've always taken life very seriously. Growing up, my mom would tell me, Jonathan, why don't you just get into a little bit of trouble <laughs> this weekend? <laughs> maybe, maybe mix it up. <laughs> <laughs> For as long as I can remember, I've always wanted to please God. I was a, well, a relatively well-behaved Christian kid. 
And it's embarrassing for me to admit that I think I took pride in and found a lot of identity in being well-behaved. I, I think I thought that I had it together. And several years back, I had somewhat of a second conversion. After college, after college I began to face some challenges with my mental health that I couldn't fix. Some of the dysfunctions in my life that I'd been able to suppress and press down began to leak. I was leaky. And it was scary. But what I didn't know is that I was trapped in my pride. And my salvation was going to be the coming to the end of myself. And I became disillusioned with myself and disappointed in myself. And I called my dad and said, Dad, I, I, I'm doing all the things I know to do, but I'm stuck. And I'm becoming aware of this ugliness in my heart. And my father, in his wisdom, said, Welcome to the human condition. <laughs> I went to celebrate recovery and discovered a phrase that captured the essence of this for me and is still deeply meaningful today. My life is unmanageable and I need a savior. Rich Faust taught me, my life is too big for me on purpose. And so this became my prayer every day. Jesus, I do not know how to live. Would you teach me? Jesus, I do not know how to be human rightly. Would you teach me? Jesus, I do not have the power to live as I should. Would you live your life through me? And I would go on walks, and I would just, my only prayer would be, Jesus, I don't know how to live. Jesus, I don't know how to live. Jesus, I need you. You've got to teach me how to live. You've got to come and get me. I don't even know where I am. I don't know where to go. All I know, like Zacchaeus, is I must have you. I need you. I began to understand what was true of me and what is true of everyone that's ever been created all along. I am utterly dependent upon Jesus Christ for everything. And since this season, I've had several, several similar discoveries. I remember becoming youth pastor and beginning to feel all of this pressure and all of this weight to be a responsible youth pastor and to be an effective youth pastor. And I remember the moment when Jesus met me on a retreat with Mike Eddins. He said, Jonathan, you are really anxious. Kind of like a Mary and Martha moment. You are really busy. You're trying to do a lot of things. <laughs> There's only one thing that I need from you, Jonathan. I need you to surrender being a youth pastor to me. And I just need you to do what I ask. I, I was fortunate. One of the first things I got to do as youth pastors, I sat with Ken Weed at Chick-fil-A. And he said, Jonathan, as long as you don't get to the place where you think you can do this on your own, you're going to be okay. You know how comforting that was to me? <laughs> you know how many times I brought that back? Okay, that was humiliating. Frustrated that person. Definitely my fault. That was a disappointing moment. But I definitely don't think that I can do this on my own. So according to Ken, <laughs> whom I trust a lot, I'm doing okay. 
I remember this moment in my relationship with my beautiful wife, Christina. We were, we were just uh, recently, I believe we were engaged at this time. And I, I remember the first time that we got just stuck in our relationship in a way that we just couldn't get through. We just couldn't find our way. And, and it was just so scary for me. Just that same pressure that I've become familiar with in my life as a bit of an anxious person started to build. What am I going to do? And I remember the moment that it dawned on me, oh my goodness, the same revelation that you had after college as a, an individual, and then the same revelation that you had as a youth pastor is the same truth that's going to get you through in this moment, in this new season. And I fell to my knees and I said, Jesus, I don't know how to love this girl. My relationship with Christina is unmanageable and it needs a savior. Jesus, would you come in and would you be the third party? Would you be the one that holds us together? Would you be the leader? Would you lead me? Jesus, I am so eager to surrender this relationship to you because I do not know how to do it. And then again, the same, somebody laughed. I think it was Charlie, and you're young. You've got a lot of these coming, bro. I remember being a dad, becoming a dad, and it was this joyful moment, and then just so quickly, I just, like a Mack truck of anxiety hit me, you know, just the most unbelievable weight and pressure and fear. Honestly, the first couple of months of being a dad were some of the most emotionally tumultuous of my entire life, and I was just starting to think about, like, okay, well, this is a lot of responsibility. I mean, being a youth pastor, I had some responsibility, but at the end of the day, they weren't really my kids. I mean, I was doing my best, you know, but they're your kids, you know? I've only got them for like two hours a week. So just so much pressure, so much weight, you know? What, what does it take to create an environment that's conducive to following Jesus and what if I do something hurtful that's going to mess him up forever? And what if I drop him? And <laughs> just so much f- fear. And about four months in, it just, bing, <laughs> oh my gosh, the same revelation Jesus, you gave me as an individual and then as a youth pastor and then as a married man, and now as a dad. Hudson is unmanageable, and he needs a savior. Jesus, would you come and rescue me? And that was the, that was the hinge. That was the hinge, the transition point. And in each of these areas of my life, surrender has brought peace. As a person who's suffered with much worry and anxiety, surrender has been a way for me to swim under the wave of my life. If if you've been to the beach, I'm from California and then the beach in Alabama. When the waves get big, you learn as a kid, you don't go over them because you just get killed. But you've got to swim under them. 
And I believe that that's what this invitation is, except the waves of life are different than the waves of the beach. They're waves that were not created to be able to swim over. The life that we've been given is a life of moment-by-moment dependence on Jesus. You know, I was thinking about in the garden when Adam and Eve chose to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. I believe that what happened is, is, is they, chose, they chose a life of knowledge over a life of dependence on God. If I could just have the right information, I wouldn't need you. If I could just have the right knowledge, I could just do this on my own. And I think that that same thing that was fractured in Adam and Eve, we've inherited. And so Jesus comes in as the first perfect, fully dependent man on his father who only does what he sees his father doing. And he comes and he gives us a new heart and he teaches us to go back to what was broken in the garden and to restore to us a life of beautiful, relational, conversational dependence on our good father. Amen. Just really quickly, I'll I'll just share one more piece, uh, one area where Jesus has been inviting me to surrender to him in this season has been my desire to be pleasing to him. My desire to have a life that's pleasing to him. I want, I tend to want to earn this through hard work. This is a struggle for me. I think it's rooted in pride. And last weekend I was reading the Sermon on the Mount, which is a great place to go if you struggle with pride. And Jesus was making the doorway into his kingdom so terrifyingly small. Jesus says, if you're not more righteous than the Pharisees, you won't make it in. And these are like the best guys, (laughs) you know, the guys that really had it together. He says, if you look at someone lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. To angrily say to someone, you fool, means you are in the danger of hell. And if you don't forgive, you will not be forgiven. And reading these words from Jesus can cause us to wonder, what hope is there for me? But we must remember the gospel. There is no hope for me in me. There is no hope for me in me. There is no hope for you in you. But as I surrender, and as you surrender our lives to Jesus, he restores us to right relationship with God, and he is committed to teaching us to be truly pure like he is. I cannot purify my own heart. I cannot clean my own heart. I love again in Psalm 51, where David prays, because he must know this, would you create in me a clean heart? There's this interesting tension, I think, that exists between two of Jesus' Beatitudes, Matthew 5.3 and Matthew 5.8. Matthew 5.3, we've been talking about where Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the needy, blessed are the humble, those who realize their need for me, for theirs is my kingdom. Their neediness is the door that allows them to enter in to my kingdom. And then in Matthew 5, 8, Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. The pure in heart. And what I want to say this morning is that to desire a pure heart, 
To long for a pure heart is a beautiful thing. But I think that we've got to get Matthew 5.3 and Matthew 5.8 in the right order. I think that as we allow the Spirit to cultivate poverty of spirit in us, awareness of our desperate, utter need for Jesus, allows us to walk in to the doorway of God's beautiful kingdom. And while we're there, He is able to purify our hearts. Amen? I was thinking about God's ability to purify our hearts like a a corn maze, you know? And when you're in the corn maze, you have no idea where to go. All you see is walls. But I believe that the Father has an aerial view of our hearts. Amen? He knows what needs cleaning. He knows what needs done. And He's never deceived like we can be. So I just want to close this morning with an invitation to surrender. I'm realizing that we get to do this over and over and over all our lives. I was sitting with a man in his 70s that I admire, and I asked him, what does it take to be in your 70s and still alive with love for God? What does it take to be in your 70s and to have a heart that's still tender and soft and available? And he said, well, John, I just keep asking Jesus, what's next? I just, coming, I just keep coming to him and saying, I'm still here. Jesus, what's next? I can't get there. I can't do it. But I'm here. That's my part. You know, I've heard that our wills are not very strong. But what they can do is they can surrender. And that's the invitation for us this morning So if you want to, you can sit, or if you want to stand, or if you want to kneel, I just want to invite the Holy Spirit to search our hearts. So whatever posture is conducive to that for you, I don't know about you, but I just take so, such comfort in knowing that Jesus is able to search my heart, that Jesus is able to cleanse my heart, that Jesus is able to give me a new heart. So we pray with David, Lord Jesus. Would you search me? And would you know me? Would you see if there is any wickedness in me? And would you lead me in the way everlasting? Lord Jesus, would you give me a heart like your heart? Jesus, I don't know how to live. Would you teach me? Jesus, I don't have the power to live. Would you live your life through me? Jesus, I pray for anyone that is being crushed under the weight of unbearable burdens today, that they were not designed to carry. I ask for a grace to surrender those things to you. That same invitation that you gave all those years ago, we we hear again today, come to me, all who are weary and I will give you rest. Come and learn from me because I'm gentle and I'm humble of heart. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus, would you teach us how to live? I pray that our lives would be characterized by dependence upon you, not reliance on our own understanding. So we trust you, Lord Jesus. You're the only one that can do this work in our hearts. 
Would you give us hearts that are surrendered and yielded to you? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you want to stand, we're going to close by praying for our Oikos maps. I think that's the next slide. Thank you, Jonathan. So I want us just to think of those. that are in our lives, who are carrying the weight of their own lives and who are carrying the weight of their own sin on their own. And let's pray this morning that they'd accept Jesus' invitation for help, for rescue, for salvation. So let's pray this together and we'll close. Lord, I pray for the people in my life who are far from you. Deliver them from the evil one. Bring them into your family and help them to grow as your disciples. Amen. Bless you guys. Have a wonderful week.